Okay, John chapter uh, 15, beginning with verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the true vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And by the way, let me just say this. One of the ways I just really kind of check myself is I have a daily time of prayer that I set aside to pray and just talk to the Lord, request as well as praise and things of that nature. But if I look back over my prayer life and see that God is not answering prayer, I am not abiding in the vine. It's not the Lord's not hearing my prayer. I'm not abiding in the vine. So one of the things that's a check on my own spiritual life is the God answering my prayers. And by the way, I find that many times he does, even before I recognize he's answering my prayer. But he answers, but you've got to abide in him and he in you. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started here in the message for this evening. Father, I pray that as we go to the Lord in prayer, that this is a sermon I believe that you'd have me to preach. And I believe, Lord, that you have it for a reason. And Lord, it's something that each need to hear. Some of the things that may be contained in here may be things that are places where people have been and now they need to look back and remember those promises to God. Are they still kept? And if not, how is our prayer life? So Lord, I'd, God, I'd pray that uh, I wouldn't be in the way of what the Holy Spirit would want to do through this, but thy Spirit would just speak through me. And you be the one that gives understanding to every heart and mind. And Lord, showing them things that I cannot say that I don't even know, but that you know that's in their heart. Lord, just work on it in a special way. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask this. Amen. Okay, we just came out of revival meetings. And some made decisions and... For those who received Jesus Christ, I want to speak to you first. If, if you're listening on radio, or watching on live stream, or you're here in the auditorium this evening, and you received Christ during these, these revival meetings, and you made that decision for Him. Well, receiving Him as Savior, let me start off by saying, make the Bible, if you've just been saved, you've just been saved in the last month, the last six months, really in the last year, but that's just where it stopped. Let me implore you to daily get in the Word of God. If you need to get up 30 minutes earlier than you have to, 
get up 30 minutes earlier in order to spend time in the Bible to read it. If it's 30 minutes before you would go to work, normally get up and go to work, you know, you hurry up, you get dressed, you get up and you, you grab that cup of whatever you drink, coffee or tea. I drink hot tea, but uh, most of you drink coffee. But uh, you need to get that cup and then you got to run out the door and run off to work. And you miss your time in the Word of God. You don't know what you're missing and what God has for you. So it's worth getting up 30 minutes. You say, well, lose that sleep? No, you don't have to lose that sleep. Go to bed 30 minutes earlier. Okay, just go to bed 30 minutes earlier and, and you don't miss it. So again, get up for work. But yes, first read the Bible. Now I suggest, and let me very clearly make this known. I suggest the book of John in the New Testament to begin with. However, I want to say as well, every book of the Bible is God-breathed words. Every word. That's why it is preserved and He's preserved it for us. But I, I do know that from reading the Word of God, that you say, oh man, I'm going to start off in Revelation or I'm going to start off in First Chronicles, <laughs> you know. Uh, but wherever you start, yeah, it's going to be the Word of God. But you know, it's, it's good to start at the elementary parts and work your way up to a greater knowledge. And look, it's going to be the Holy Spirit of God within you that's going to teach and lead you. But nonetheless, I think that that is a good place to start. And that is not putting down any book of the Bible because every book is just inspired. There's no one book that has more of God's Word in it than any other book of the Bible. It's every bit. God breathed every word of the Bible. But I suggest that you start there. Ask God to help you understand it. And ask God to show you how it applies to your life. Read it in a way that you are trying to learn something from it. Now, sometimes you, you get some kind of a new thing, maybe a new car, maybe a new, uh, some kind of a computer thing or one of these modern technical things, and, and you read through it. And, and with many people, if they read through it like they read the Bible, they wouldn't understand a bit of it. Well, don't expect just reading the Bibles enough because you wouldn't expect just reading enough to find out about that, that particular technicality that's in there. That you, you know that if you don't really study that closely, you're not going to get it. Read the Word of God closely to think on it, to get it. And that's not just true for new, newly saved people. It's saved for all of us. It's for all of us. So, uh, read it to get something out of it. As a matter of fact, uh, Review it. Review it. Review it in your mind. Review it as you go along throughout the day in your mind. Uh, read it in a way that you would say, I've got to teach this to my child. I've got to teach this to my, my boy, my daughter, my, my teenager, my, my, my whichever it is. To say, I, I, I want to teach this to them. So you read it in a way because as a Christian, you should start as a family, you got children there with you and so forth, reading the Word of God 
and leading them in the way of righteousness and true holiness. And you can do that by getting first in the Word of God to share it with your family and to guide them in the way that they should go, as the Bible tells us to do with our children. So teach it to your children. So you need to read it to see, how would I teach this? Well, first I've got to understand it. So ask God to show you the understanding of it. Uh, it's not just for children. Maybe for something that God gives you that you can share with a friend. I remember years ago, I was just, I hadn't been married that long. And uh, I was working at uh, Sears and Roebuck here in town. And I was selling men's fashions. Can't you just tell I sell men's fashions? My wife makes sure she makes the final decision on all those clothes now. But, um, but uh, I, I worked in men's fashions. But I remember one day work, reading in Ezekiel. You remember about how the Spirit filled those, those angels, that, that cart that just went up and went through all these places, you know, and all that. And, and it moved whichever way the Spirit led them. It might go up, it might go this way, that way, but wherever the Spirit led it. And there was a, another young man there. Uh, he wasn't a Baptist, but he was a Christian. And uh, he was talking about being a preacher. And he, he says, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And that was probably the first time I can remember most clearly of something I read that morning where I could take them to it and just say, you know what? He's telling us the Holy Spirit led them because they were where God is. You know, if you're not on that chariot, you're not going to be there where God is. And so uh, get where God is and then maybe God will give you something that will help somebody down the road, somebody that you work with. And so I, I encourage that greatly. So, again, whether it's a friend, a self, a fellow employee or whatever, pray before going out to work, asking the Lord God for his guidance in the word of the Lord. That should be every day, whether you work in a secular job or in a like we have here at Christian school or, or whatever. We need to read the Bible that way. Think of what you read as you go throughout the day. Sometimes there's the kind of a job that uh, you have and, and, and some will on that job, they'll just, it's kind of getting boring at that point. And it's just uh, your daydream. You start thinking about I'd like to go fishing next week, or I'd like to go doing this or do that. And you're thinking about thinking, well, no, I need to fix that at the house, or I need. You're thinking about everything else, but about the job you're doing, because you can do that job and you can do it right, even without thinking. Uh, you can go through it. You you've done it so much, but your thoughts are not centered on what you're doing, because you already know what you're doing. I remember. I worked at a TGNY store. Boy, those things don't exist anymore, I don't think. But uh, in college, I went to work at a TGNY store. And I remember at the end of the night, you had to swab the floors, you know, get that mop out and, and, and that great big bucket of water and so forth and squeezing it out. But you went up and down different aisles. And there's two or three of you there, so you just took aisles and you went up and down. You know what? 
swabbing a mop from one side to the next side doesn't take a lot of thought. Just seeing that it's, okay, that part's wet. Let me get the next part wet. You know? uh, you're going back and forth and you're going as fast as you can to get it done because you want to go home because you know as soon as it's done, you can go home. But you're cleaning the floors. And so there I am, I'm working in college and there's a lot of uh, concentration that you can make. For an example, I might be concentrating when I was in college on a test I have to take tomorrow. But then there was a lot of times that I could go into a break room and just concentrate on what I read that morning. Just have a Bible, even if it's just a, a, a little New Testament in your, in your pocket that you just pull out and read on that and, and, and meditate on it and think on it. And hey, if somebody sees you reading it, you know what? I found that oftentimes when I did that, it opened the door to talk to somebody about the Lord. And so uh, you're a new Christian. I'm just trying to teach you ways that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And just think, you go to a break room, you have 15 minutes with the Lord. If they give you a 15 minute break, you've got 15 minutes with the Lord. Uh, it may not be in the break room, but you've got 15 minutes. You may go to another place where you can just sit down by yourself where nobody will bother you. Maybe run out to your car real quick and read it and then run back in when the 15 minutes are up. Don't go overtime on your time of your break, but just do spend some time with the Lord. And, and see that there are times throughout the day that you can meditate in the Word. Uh, what did I read this morning? What did I read this morning? One of the things with uh, when I had the, the strokes and the it went at all. I mean, it just pretty well messed up all my optic nerves, you know, just really messed them up big time. And so trying to read right now, this print that I'm looking at is in all dark, bold print, capitalized 19 font. And if I can't, last couple weeks ago, it was 18 font. Last week, I was having a hard time reading it. So now it's 19 font. Next week, it may be 20 font. I'm doing all right right now, but next week, it may be 20 font. But Lord provided a way to at least get around that. But if you pull it out in front of me, just remember what font I can see, okay? <laughs> now, When you get in the Bible as a new Christian, you're getting to know the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so much more than the day you were saved. You're growing to know him. And that's, you know, it's like marriage. You get married thinking, oh, I love this person. I really know them. And after just a few few weeks probably, but we'll, we'll be generous and say after a few months, uh, you realize you didn't know that person at all. I mean, why does he kick off his shoes in the middle of the floor? Why does he get a shower and just throw it on the floor and leave? Why does he throw all of his unclean clothes on the bedroom floor? I mean, why does he do, some of the ladies, you're looking at your husbands right now and shaking your heads, okay? But uh, you're wondering, why do they do, well, 
you know, mama went behind them in that day. But now they're married. This mama isn't a mama yet, and she's not going to go behind them. And when she is a mama, she's going to do it for her kids, not for you. Okay? Now, I'm saying that, that uh, you get to know the person. Well, my mama didn't cook, cook it that way. Yeah, she's not your mama anymore, though. This one's your mama, you know, so to speak. Yeah, she is still your mama, but she's not going to cook like your mama. She's going to cook like her mama did. But guess what? You're not going to be like her daddy was. And some of you are saying, thank the Lord for that. But um, you're, you're not going to be the same. And that's what, when you get in the Word of God, now you're getting to know your true Heavenly Father. You're getting to know Jesus Christ, the, the true Savior of your soul. You say, well, why are you comparing marriage to it? Because the Bible compares marriage to our salvation to Jesus Christ, whether you realize that or not. You see, it's the person is much more important now than She'll like this. He'll like that. Now it's more getting to know them, to know the person of each other. And that's how it grows, and your love grows one for another. I've had, I've had young couples uh, sit in my office and talk to them. And one of the things is that, you know, they live in their for an example, they grew up in their home, and uh, mother, man, everything was done just this way. It was done that way, and that's the way it should be. Dad, boy, his, you know, we, we could trust that we always had something. Then they get married, and they're starting out. They don't have a house like mom and dad. They don't have this. They don't have that. And after a while, they're saying, well, I think I want a divorce because we're never going to have anything. You know, that is never a reason for a divorce that you're never going to have anything. Uh, you will have something, but you just don't get it as fast as you think that uh, you should. It took your parents 30 to 40 years to get what they've got or more. And look, look you're not a, a Christian. You're not an apostle the very next day after you're saved. So understand that your relationship with the Lord should be a daily growing relationship with Him. So if you have recently received Christ as your Savior, I suggest start right there, start right there in the Word of God. As I said, the book of John, it doesn't have to be the book of John, it can be Matthew, it can be uh, any book in the Bible. I'm just saying I think that's a good place to start. Why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you get into Acts, but those are books that take it from the start, salvation, and then into your Christian growth as you go throughout the New Testament book of the Bible. Be faithful. You just recently got saved, be faithful. Sometimes you'll see Christians that have been saved for many years, and somewhere along the line, I think it was probably a breakdown in your personal devotions. Oh, I still have personal devotions. Yes, yeah, a quick hit and miss. Hey, hey, here's one of those devotional books. They're, they're all short, short devotions. Read that and we're fine for the day. No. The devotional book, I've got devotional booklets. 
We put out the days of praise out there for you to have because we think there's good things in there. But try to get your good things from the Word of God. Get your good things from that daily time in God's Word. And so, uh, be faithful. Be faithful to Sunday school. Be faithful to church. The Bible taught us, and it will help you to grow in His grace and knowledge. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what? You've got to study to get there. You've got to study to get there. God's grace and His knowledge to us as Christians. So if you've just been saved recently, in the last year or two, maybe during revival, get Get started in the book and seek what it would have you to do with your life and things that need to be added to your life each and every day. But I also want to address, in a revival meeting as we've had, uh, most often a revival meetings are addressed to Christians. <laughs> That's what revival means. It's to bring back to life, revive, bring it back to life. And uh, sometimes uh, those people that are paramedics, those people that work in hospitals and things like that, they've, uh, the heart has stopped beating, the person's uh, starting to go away and they, they do those things and they may uh, put the shockers on the heart, you know, and, and bring them back around. They may uh, give them a shot of something that helps to uh, keep them going with you, but whatever they do, they're working to save a patient. They're working to help a patient. They're, they're trying to make decisions that'll help save that person. Uh, but in a Christian, when you're making a decision in a revival meeting, you're bringing back to life a commitment that we may have had at one time, but we've somewhere along the line lost it. We somewhere along the line left it. We once had that in us. And the renewal of our life and service is of utmost importance in our walk with God. There are many areas of sin that Christians, Christians, areas of sin that Christians fall in. They're all, aren't just the things that are filthy out there in the world. You know that guy's drinking again. Uh, do you know that guy is going to this place and that place? You know this guy, and, and we think those are the only sins. That's bad. Well, it's far beyond that. There are areas of backsliding on your devotional life. Your prayer and Bible time. That's, that's an area that we should see ourselves that, you know what? We left God because He's willing to meet with us every time. We left Him. He doesn't leave us. Maybe... In God's house, you've left going to His house. Maybe it's the holy standards of righteousness and true holiness that you once had in your life and you wanted to not have anything in your life. You didn't want to, I mean, you would ask the preacher, you'd ask the Sunday school teacher, is this wrong to do? Not because you're just wanting to know, is this wrong to do, as much as you didn't want to do anything that was wrong to do. And you were seeking that as a Christian. Some may have come for deliverance from a sin or forgiveness of a failure of their lives. 
some of the decisions that were made that never were followed. But you came forward. You turned it all over to God. And you actually prayed. And someone prayed with you, perhaps. Someone talked with you. And you simply got it right with God that day, whether it was a sin or maybe something lacking in your life for Christ. And you got it right and you said, I'm rededicating my life to God. Which is not a bad thing to do, by the way. And, and, and it is good. It is a good thing to do. But what is not good? What is not good is unkept promises. Unkept promises to God. Unkept promises. Oh, you prayed silently is just like Hannah when she prayed silently. She was just moving her lips. Eli saw her lips moving. He thought she was drunk. She was just up there you know, just moving those lips. He didn't know she was praying. And when she told him that she was praying, what she was praying about, Eli let, uh, God let Eli know, you tell her that is going to be granted to her. And she did. She had the baby Samuel. There's only two books of the Bible named after Samuel. Just think of that. What God gave to Hannah who prayed at an altar. Too often, in my counseling with couples who have, are having marital troubles and going through trials in their marriage. And I mean, this hasn't just happened once or twice. Some think that, oh, who's he talking about? I could go all the way back to my first church and tell you a lot of folks. Okay. So I'm not thinking of anybody specifically right now. But the thing is, what they are concerned about it seems like they are too often looking to see if their spouse is keeping their part of it. I mean, their faults, their own doings, they don't really look at, but the faults of their marriage partner. But in marriage, you said for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health. And by the way, that's not multiple choice. Okay. Rich or poor, better or worse, sickness and health. To honor, to love, to cherish, till death do us part. And it doesn't matter if worse, that marital partner cheated on you. It's not it, 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 it's not something that you can break because that marital partner has now contacted some kind of a disease or sickness and no, they can no longer be uh, a marital spouse that they were. They can't earn a salary. Better or worse, sickness and health, richer or poor. And I said earlier, there are couples and and mostly, and I'm not going after ladies tonight, I'm just saying this happened mostly with young ladies that uh, get married and they realize they don't have daddy around that's going to buy them everything that they want. The daddies they have wrapped around their fingers, you know. 
And when they find it out, they're not able to put food on the table like they want to have. I mean, they get food on the table. They've got a vehicle that every morning they've got to start the vehicle with prayer and hope that it stays on. But, you know, you're, the early parts of a marriage, those things come up. And, and so often there's been a young lady to say, well, we'll never have anything. And now they start looking for somebody else. Some man at work or something like that starts complimenting them, saying, oh, he's so wonderful. I wish my husband was like that. You know what I found over the years? Found that when they've left one partner for another partner, and it's usually a partner they worked with, guess what? That other partner they worked with was having trouble in their marriage. And so when they listened to her about the troubles that she was having, they seemed so understanding. And when she listened to the troubles that he was having, he thought she was so understanding. They both thinking, I wish my spouse was this way. So they end up getting a divorce. Then they marry. Then you find out not long after that, that all of a sudden they're having trouble in their marriage. And before too long, that marriage is broke up. You see, those vows are important because it is an unkept promise if you broke it. That means your word is filth. Your word is nothing. To break the marital vow, it's terrible. Slow down. As low as you can go. And because we often get married in a church or before a preacher, you get married before God and man, so you've just told a lie to God when you, won't, when you will abandon those vows. And, but here's the other problem. They get to look into each other. And one begins to criticize, says, well, they're not doing this. And that was the vow. They're looking at, at whether they're keeping their vows or, instead of whether they're doing what they're supposed to do in their vows. It's not, what kind of a husband am I? It's, well, what is she doing? It's not, what kind of a wife am I? It's, well, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. You didn't give vows that said if. There's no if in the vows. And there's no if in a promise that you make to God. You promised God, I'd be faithful to his house. And you're not faithful. I'll be faithful to Sunday school. I'll be on time. I'll do the things I ought to do. And you're not doing it. Lord, I'll be a witness. And you still haven't witnessed to a lost soul yet. You see, that's an unkept promise. Sometimes we wonder why people will wonder why, why is God allowing this to happen to us? Well, sometimes it's a trial of our faith to see if we're going to stay true. Other times it's trying to get your attention. Get your attention and get you back to the promise that you made to him long ago. By the way, let me just add this while I'm on this at the moment. Adultery, some leave because how they feel that they are affected in their marriage. And their arguments are always against the one they're married to without a view of themselves. Well, I try. No. 
You're more concerned about if they are keeping what they're supposed to do instead of what you're supposed to do. You're, you're leading your marriage to failure when you get that attitude. As a Christian, I'm saying all these things, you're saying, is he talking about people in church having marital problems? No, no, I'm not. What I'm talking about is before the world, you're supposed to be Christians, and when your home is so messed up that you can't stay together, then evidently you have lost your Christian testimony, and you're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ as you ought to, because you keep your word whether your spouse keeps theirs or not. Well, I don't agree with that, Pastor. Well, then, look, I'm just preaching the Word of God, so you're not agreeing with God. Now, if you want to call God a liar, then go ahead, but that's the stupidest thing you can do. Stand true. Stand right as a Christian. Revival meetings. There's, you don't have to have a meeting to have revival. You can have revival in your time alone with God in a hurry. But now don't miss our next revival meeting saying you're having revival at home. Okay. Better were sickness and health to love, to honor, to cherish till death do you part. That means if the worst, what you consider the worst, whether it's adultery or some other terrible sin, it's not that you just stay with it. It's also that you love, you honor, and cherish that spouse. Whether it's the man or whether it's a woman, you cherish, you love them, you honor them. They're the ones that you chose. You chose each other. And now you seek God's help to make it what God wants it to be. And let me just quickly, I'm going to, I don't know how quick this is going to be, but I'm going to read these verses from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. And I'm going to do something that's highly, 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 highly unusual for me. I'm going to make short comments after every verse. I never make short comments after verses, okay? I know that. But uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That doesn't make your husband more important than the Lord, but I'm telling you, God wants a woman to be as submitted to her husband as she, she knows she is supposed to be to her Lord. That's God's word. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Someone has wisely uh, interpreted that is with what God the Father said back in Genesis. I mean, it says it here. It's just repeating back in Genesis what, what he said in Genesis chapter 2 when he made man for the woman. Or made woman for the man. No, they made him for each other. Man was made first. But nonetheless, they were made for each other. God, I mean, God made the man out of the dust of the ground woman was made out of a bone out of his side. So, ladies, your husband's just a bunch of dirt. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm just saying, he said to what a marriage is, leave mother and father. Remember I just said a little earlier, that's not the way mom did, that's not the way dad was. You left mother and father. You cleave unto your wife and your one flesh. Leave, cleave, and one flesh. 
that is a marriage. Love, till death do you part. I've been teasing some of our, uh, some people I know say, yes, we do have our family burial plots now. And I said, I'm going to be buried at the northeast corner. My wife's going to be buried at the southwest corner because we said, till death do us part. Okay, now we're just having fun when we say that, but nonetheless, we're not going to part, and we know, guess what? We're both saved, so we're going to meet again in heaven. I hope she doesn't tell on me up there. Uh, but he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, men, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do you, can you imagine? Just look at the cross. That's the love Christ has for the church. That's the love that he has for each believer. That's the love that we see in John 17 that we've been going on. That's the love that he has for us. Now, he says, men, have that love for your wife. And if that comes short of that, you're breaking your vow. But then verse 32, as we said, says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, marriage is likened unto your salvation. Christ, your Savior. We, if you're saved, you are part of the church. You are the church. All of us that are saved in this auditorium are the church. It's not this building. You are the church if you're saved. And when we get caught up to heaven, we're going to be the church of the firstborn. Firstborn. To go to heaven, firstborn again, you might say, firstborn into his kingdom. Not firstborn, the first one ever saved. Firstborn that changed our life. And so according to the book of Ephesians. This is giving yourself freely to Him. And you know, we all would be against adultery, but it's adultery to turn your back on a true commitment to Christ as a Christian and become worldly as Demas, who loving this present world, he left. He left what was right. He left what was good. He left what he was supposed to do. He left. What the Bible teaches, but it didn't say in that passage about Demas, but what the Bible teaches, what would be also true about Demas. Demas lost reward in heaven. Oh, he's saved. He'll be up there. But he's one of those that 1 John 2.28 speaks of. Saved so as by fire. Now you're going to see another miracle. No, this isn't a miracle because, uh, well, let me just read these few verses and we'll get the miracle over with. For the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, even as uh, Christ is, is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be subject unto her own husband 
in everything. I want you to understand something about that. That's the reason I decided I need to read this, I believe, is in everything doesn't say, hey, well, the husband said, let's go out and drink. Let's go out and let's swap wives. Let's go out and do this. I actually sat in the classroom where the teacher was teaching, and he said that the husband said to his wife to, they're going to swap with the husband for that night with another man, his friend, swap wives for the night. He says, you'd be in sin if you disobeyed your husband. I walked out of the room, walked up to Dean's office. I said, I'm going to leave this Bible college if this is what you believe is a college. <clears throat> that guy doesn't work there. That semester was almost over. After that semester, he was not back again. Amen. Not because I got him fired. He got himself fired. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Get down on your wife, but understand, you've got a higher, higher expectation of you from God. You better love her as Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, uh, uh, having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh. The Lord loves us. He should be Lord over our lives. And he is if we'll let him. But be the kind of Lord as a husband that he is to us. As the bride of Christ. Love them with your all. Things happen in the past that may not even pass from your mind till you get to heaven. But you love, you honor, you cherish men and women. Love, honor, and cherish till death do you part. But really, this is also telling us our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I told new believers to get in the Word of God. Get in the Bible. But for revival, get back to where you started. In the Word of God. In the Bible. In prayer. In faithfulness. Some of the things I just read to you about Valentine's Day. But especially about the Super Bowl. And then looking at this woke culture. Some of the things Brother Osborne shared with us. The churches of America need revival. But more so than that, the homes of America that call themselves Christians need revival. May the revival begin in us. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, we preached this word because we felt like that that's what you wanted me to preach. And so, Lord, I've preached it. So much more perhaps could have been said. But, Lord, I want thy Holy Spirit to speak to hearts about these things, not me. So, Lord, I pray that you would just move in a very powerful way at this time. 
in each heart. And Lord, I pray that things that need to be made right, whether it's in the home or whether it's in their spiritual life, in their relationship, an unkept promise that they have abandoned. I pray that they'd come back to that unkept promise to God. Perhaps their unkept promise in their marriage vow. Going to one another, confessing their sin to one another and getting things right with God. Father, I pray that you would just really work in that heart and that you would strengthen that Christian home, that home to be a trophy of the great grace of God in Jesus' name. Amen.